Today we are celebrating our local international published author, Shamiz Patel Papathanasio. Shamiz is a civil engineer by day and a fantasy writer by night. In The Last Feather, Shamiz takes us into a new world of magic and fantasy, and there's so much excitement to look forward to. Today, Shamiz will be in conversation with Kelly Kamale. Kelly is a longtime book lover. She's the marketing manager at Wordsworth Books. Some of you might know her as the Velvet Library. She has spent the past seven years book blogging her way through social media, and she is known for her visually pleasing photography and her great taste in literature. Over to you, Kelly. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, I guess it just makes sense to start at the beginning, which is where did you get the idea for The Last Feather from? Hi, I'm Shamir Spasal from Athanasia. Apparently, I wrote a book. Uh, <laughs> the Last Feather came in a moment of panic when I joined NaNoWriMo and had not plotted anything. So when someone asked me what I was writing about, I just said a parallel realm where magic exists. And... The next day, NaNoWriMo started, and I started writing. The first draft was a mess, so I can't say that it was actually the book that it became today, but it definitely started something. And what's your favorite aspect of writing? Like, is it world building? Um, is it crafting your characters? Is it writing relationships, writing action scenes? Like, what's your favorite thing to write? I feel like if you've read the book, you know that... <laughs> that I mean, I do, but they might not. <laughs> that my, my love definitely lies with my characters and the love that they have for each other, be it romantic or platonic, friendships, siblings, parents and kids. I, I love exploring the complex emotions that characters go through when discovering themselves and each other. So I was really struck by the action scenes in The Last Feather, and I did choose one for you to read. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> So, out of context, they're thrown into a magical world without giving too many spoilers, and there are monsters which are called Rulogs. On his left, Neil and Zidane unsheathed their swords. June ran up to them and handed them their quivers. Wordlessly, they drew their arrows and sent them flying across the plains toward the monsters. His heart was pounding louder every time he realized Cass was behind him. The arrow slipped as he released it, and he guided it with his wrist into the head of one of the Rologs. He glanced down at Cass to see her knuckles whitened around her dagger, her breathing short and quick, much like his. It's okay, he said, hoping it came across as convincing. It wasn't okay. None of this was okay. The wall of Rologs got closer, and Zoe and June exchanged their bows for daggers. Lucas dropped his bow and opened his hands in front of him, stretching his fingers apart. He inhaled deeply and swung his hands forward, exhaling as he did it, forcing his magic through his fingertips, embracing the feeling of it and the way it whirled inside him before release. The Rolags that had almost reached them were thrown back into the others behind them, but the screams got louder. The Rolags got closer. Lucas ran forward. He needed to keep these monsters away from his friends. He gestured toward one of the nearest Rolags, a man, and flung him into the Rolags behind them. Lifting his other hand, he glanced over at the abandoned quiver and lifted the discarded arrows, sending them into the heads of the Rologs. A quick bolt of pain traveled up both his arms, and he leaned forward, shutting his eyes as he tried to breathe. Don't overdo it, Zoe shouted. We've got this. 
Arella grabbed the back of Zoe's shoulder, opening his mouth in a scream or preparing to bite. Zoe dropped his hand and stabbed the Rolog in the abdomen, sending him tumbling. Another Rolog pounced on him and Zoe kicked him off, digging his dagger deep into the Rolog's head. Lucas looked up before Rolog reached him and saw another one approaching Cass. Summoning his fallen dagger, he drove it into the Rolog, desperate to get to her. It grabbed her and she dropped her dagger, likely out of fear. Lucas felt his magic building up in an unpleasant way as he watched her tug her arm toward herself, trying to break the grip, but the woman she was up against hung on tightly. He broke free and sprinted toward her, but he was blocked by another two Rologs. Cass assumed a fighting position, picked up her dagger, and hauled it out in front of her. So clearly your characters do go through quite some, some quite intense <laughs> scenes in this book. Um, there, there is a lot of action, there's a lot of danger. And I was very curious to know if you get emotionally attached to your characters to the point where you, like, you almost can't stomach putting them in that kind of danger or if you almost relish like, putting them in these difficult situations and they, making them fight their way out. They are certain characters that I enjoy um, torturing. But, <laughs> but most of them, I love them and it feels cruel, but at the same time, it, the story is writing itself. And I recall writing one evening with my husband sitting beside me and I just grumbled. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, ugh, this woman, she's irritating me. And he's like, but you're writing her. <laughs> they write themselves. <laughs> I mean, on that note, what character surprised you the most? Like, what character did you see going one way that just completely changed as you were writing them? It would be a massive spoiler if I answered that question. But... There is a surprise in there, so I'm sure you'll pick it up when you start reading. Yes, I, was, I was really hoping that that was going to be your answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first book that really made you think, like, I want to do this, I want to be a writer? I, I can't answer that. I'd have to think back to when I was a child. I've always wanted to write. I've always read um, my parents took me to libraries. My uncle, who's sitting in France, he bought me a novel for each birthday. Um, he was always very impressed that I enjoyed reading. <laughs> so it, I think every kid that loves reading that much has a story that they want to tell. And I eventually got a chance to tell it. And when you were younger, reading all the time, dreaming of becoming an author, was... That's the sort of book that you saw yourself writing. Did you always imagine that you would be a fantasy author? I, I, I told a story in one of my interviews before that one of the first stories I remember writing was called The Treasures of Zombie Island. It featured no zombies. <laughs> but it was a, a loose Beauty and the Beast retelling, which I don't, I don't know if I had the business to write at the age of 10. But... <laughs> I suppose I should have known at that point that fantasy with a romantic subplot would be on the cards for me in the future. Um, and obviously fantasy always has some very interesting names, as we heard in your extract. Um, fantasy worlds, fantasy characters, fantasy monsters. So what's your process for coming up with names that both sound out of this world but are still like recognisable enough that your readers will actually be able to pronounce them? Um, so Ralog is definitely the one most people would 
get stuck on. That was just a strange word that popped into my brain. I wish there was a deeper meaning to it. But it sounded like the monster that I pictured, and that made sense. <laughs> um, in this book, because a lot of people are from our world, they have regular names. So there's Lucas and Nisa, and main character's name is Cassia and Kala, which are obviously based off of trees and plants, and that is a theme that you will find throughout my writing. Um, go, looking ahead to the rest of your books, um, I suspect I know the answer to this, but are there some nice little Easter eggs in book one that, once we've read book two, will be surprised that we didn't pick up on? I think there's things in book one that some people will be surprised they didn't pick up on from the beginning of book one. <laughs> but definitely, um, there are definitely some seeds planted in book one for book two and book three. And maybe future books that lend itself to the firsts and the Celine realm. That's exciting. Um, and what other books have, would you say, have like most inspired your writing? Like, what authors do you think have shaped the way that you've grown as an author? I think it's a combination of so many and of everything that I've read. Um, I, could, I could definitely not just pick one author who I feel has inspired me the most, but an author that I find I can relate to in terms of her voice is perhaps Rainbow Rowell, because she writes a bit of fantasy, a bit of romance, um, and she doesn't lean too heavily into either, which I feel suits me, but I think I've learned a bit from all of them that I've read recently, at least. So what are you reading at the moment? What am I reading at? What am I reading at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been reading at the moment because I've been writing, but the last book that I read or am busy, am busy reading is Tinderbox by Wendy Simpson. Amazing. Um, and obviously this is your first published novel, but book two is ready to go. You have another series in the pipeline. How would you say that your writing has changed since going through the publishing process? Has it affected the way that you write and the way that you plan at definitely, all? Definitely. So after being edited in book one, there are things that I now know to self-edit before submitting. So the things that my, my editor picked up some crutch words and now I look for them by myself, obviously. And going forward, planning new series, I, I know what it's like now to write a series and perhaps save myself a lot of work by planning beforehand rather than end up revising something 10,000 times. So would you say that you're more of a pantser than a plotter? <laughs> Unfortunately for me. Yes, pantser, 100% a pantser. I'm trying my best to plot, um, but it just means that I end up revising a lot more, which isn't great. <laughs> and what is, if there's one author whose career you could almost emulate, who would you say it would, like, who would you say it would be? Probably Sarah Jemas. Um, I mean, you, she gets like, I don't know, a million sales before a book is released. <laughs> I mean, every, we're all addicted, let's be honest. You can say what you want, we're addicted. So I think she's got an amazing career and I would aspire to that level of success. I mean, her series has just been picked up for a TV series, which is cool. Yeah. That is the dream. <laughs> 
So who would be your dream cast for The Last Feather? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been asked this a few times and I do struggle with it because they obviously they live in my head and they're not necessarily reflected by a real life person. But after thinking about it a lot because of this question, I do think that Cassia could be portrayed quite nicely by somebody similar to Naomi Scott. Um, do you have any suggestions? <laughs> I mean, Lachlan, I, I definitely imagined Jacob Elordi occasionally <laughs> while I was reading because I needed a face in my head. Purely coincidental. And completely coincidental. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that was about as far I as mean, I got. Just let Netflix know. <laughs> Tag them. Um, that is all from my side. I'd love to open up for questions from the audience. Hi. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, what were some of the other titles for the book? If the book wasn't called The Last Feather, what were some of your other ideas? It's actually a very funny question because when I had submitted it to my editor, I titled it The Final Feather, and he didn't acknowledge that title. He replied saying, I really like The Last Feather. It's like, you know what? Me too. <laughs> um, when's the second book coming out? <laughs> April. Take my money. <laughs> April. The second book is being advertised as being published in April. I thought it was June, but apparently April, so we're going to go with that. <laughs> um, is Lachlan based on or inspired by anyone you know? Gosh, I would be terrified if I knew someone <laughs> in real life. So no, thankfully. Thankfully not. <laughs> Great in a fantasy novel, maybe not in real life. Being someone from such a diverse background, you know, personally and culturally, did you feel pressure to have that sort of diversity and representation in your book? No, I didn't feel pressured at all. It felt completely natural for me to write a character who was a woman of color and to have her be in a circle of friends where one of the members were white and then one of the members were black and some people were just mixed race where their race wasn't always being identified or mentioned because that's how I live and those are the people that I'm friends with. So it, it came naturally to me at least. No. <laughs> uh, what are you most looking forward to in book two? Oh, Spoiler when free. You, when you read it, you'll know. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to? Um, there were some hints. Uh, without spoiling anything, there were definitely some, some very strong hints left in book one for a relationship that is building. And book two continues with that. Thank you. Can you, I have a follow-on question to that. Okay. Can you, without spoilers, tell us if there are any scenes in this book, like, you can just give us sort of the broad where they are or who, they, who they're about, but any scenes that you are particularly keen on getting, like, reader feedback on? There are a, f oops, there are a few scenes in, in book two. Book two... I love book one, obviously, I wrote book one. Um, <laughs> but when I was writing book two, it, I loved it even more than book one. And it is hard to pick out a specific scene that I love in it, but definitely the two people that I'm referring to, 
there's a, there's a couple of moments that I know will have most readers sort of giggling. <laughs> and are there any scenes from book one that you are very interested to see how people react to them? I really enjoy the, the abduction. Not that that is a thing that anybody should <laughs> enjoy generally, but the kidnapping <laughs> is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> um, just because of, of Cassia's reaction to the whole situation. Cassie is amazing. Like she's such a badass. I love she's her so much. She's <laughs> so hard-headed, and she's she's not everyone's favorite, but she should be. I I mean, I can imagine she would be a difficult. She might be a difficult person to like hang out with. Yes. But as a reader, like she's yeah. such a great character to read. Thank you. Um, we do. Hi, Shamiz. Hello. I'd like to know, um, at your book launch today, is it any more real? How many times have you pinched yourself today? Oh, this. <laughs> What? Is it, <laughs> is it real? Like walking past this, wait, hold on the waterfront? I mean, do you like? Wait, you're you're, you're saying this is real? <laughs> I mean, as a writer, I do daydream a lot. So, <laughs> hello, hello. Um, I was thinking I would ask you if you have any advice for aspiring writers. So, so much, so much. You're more than welcome to reach out to me if you have any specific questions. But my main piece of advice is the same and the simplest, is to write. To write the book, finish it. So don't get stuck halfway through or three, qu three quarters of the way through where you think it's, it's not good and you've got a new shiny idea that's kind of teasing and you're like, oh, this one's better, I'm just going to jump ship. Don't do that. <laughs> finish the book because the way that you learn to write is by finishing novels or short stories if that's what you prefer, but definitely from start to end. Um, hi, um, I just wanted to know because you recently read the book again. I saw you tweet it and you took notes. What's it like when you first read it and now your most recent reading? Like, how different is it for you having like written it and obviously you've lived so many like days since the first initial like draft and everything? Like, but what's that? What do you see with retrospect? It's, it's a, it, I wasn't planning on reading the printed version of the book because I knew I couldn't change anything. Because every other time that I've read the book, I've had the option of adding a sentence here or adding a bit more detail here. Um, and knowing this time that this is, this is the printed version, it's not changing, was, it was very strange knowing that this was the exact version that other people would be reading. That being said, I still laughed at my own jokes. <laughs> I mean, they do say that you should write the book that you want to read. So, um, following on from Ruby's question, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people here know your publishing story, but for those that don't, obviously it's not common for this kind of fantasy to be published in South Africa. Um, and I think that there are a lot of aspiring fantasy authors in the local scene. Um, so could you just share what your sort of publishing journey was? Sure. Um, I, I knew very early on that South African publishers weren't interested in publishing fantasy. And so I started looking at publishers abroad. I looked at agents and I found my current publisher, which is Flame Tree Press, who's distributed by Simon & Schuster. And they were open for submissions without an agent. And I'm of the opinion that you should just shoot your shot, <laughs> which I did. And... Thank goodness. 
they loved it, which is wonderful. And to my surprise, they then ended up contacting, I'm looking for Mariam as if she represents Jonathan Ball entirely. They contacted Jonathan Ball and made sure that it would get distributed in South Africa all over, which is wonderful because it doesn't always reach South Africa. It is a bit surreal. Like, but Shamiz initially contacted me about the possibility of doing a launch like back in April or May. Um, and at that point, we were still trying to figure out the logistics of like... Shoot your shot. Yeah, of like <laughs> how we'd be able to get the book here and if something like this would be, even po- would be possible. So the fact that it then came in from Jonathan Ball and we, were, like, we could get the book in such volume that we could have a launch with like 150 plus people is absolutely wild. Um, so yeah, it's been a really amazing journey. Thank you for like, coming on watch. this journey with me. Thank you, thank you for being part of this journey before Jonathan Ball jumped on board <laughs> for being willing to take a risk. So I'm glad it all worked out for everyone. Um, and it's been like it's been such a gift to be able to get to know you better along this journey. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you again to all of you for coming out. Thank you so much to everyone at Jonathan Ball who's helped work on this to, to make it a success. Um, thank you to our manager at Willowbridge. Um, she's been wonderful. And Willowbridge Centre as well to make this event possible tonight has been fantastic. Thank you to everyone that's been involved. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.